Hello, everyone, and welcome to It's Your Season.life, where we are discovering and celebrating life at any age. This is a story about you, for you, from people like you. We all share a lot as we mature in life, and the journey is made even more special when we can celebrate it with someone else. This podcast series is based on living well and eating well, with Living Well podcasts featuring guests who inspire all of us to live a life soulful and rooted in a passion. Eating Well podcasts will be focused on healthy lifestyle tips, easy recipes with a plant-forward focus, and all-around wellness. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of It's Your Season.life. This is the Eating Well series, and we're going to talk vegetables and grains and plants today. This is a follow-up to a Learn It Live discussion and uh, cooking demonstration on 10 out-of-this-world fruits and vegetables. So if you want more information, go out to Learn It Live, spend a couple of dollars and watch me for an hour talk about different fruits and grains and veg that are out of this world. What makes them out of this world is that maybe their shapes are funny, maybe we walk by them in the grocery store and really don't know what to do with them, as well as you don't normally see them in a restaurant or a cafe or fast food. So they're out of this world because they're out of the way. You have to do a little bit to work with them, but they're great sources of phytonutrients and fiber and, yes, protein. Let's get started. I'm going to go through some of these, and then if you feel up to it, go out to Learn It Live. I'll show you how to cut them and prepare them and enjoy them. Most of these five plants are available in your grocery store. They may not be available in all, but I tried to choose some that are there. They're nestled aside, and maybe you overlook them or really don't know what to do with them. Maybe you didn't grow up with them like I did. Maybe they just weren't around in the 60s and 70s, 80s, 90s. A lot of these are recent. They're coming from the great supply chain that we have in the world. And the first one is spaghetti squash. And we're starting to see more and more spaghetti squash in the store. They're kind of oval-shaped. They're beautiful and yellow. And why are they called spaghetti squash? Because when you roast them, the inside comes across in pasta-like strands. So I don't know of any other vegetable that does that, but this one does. So thus, it's called spaghetti squash. It was actually first recorded in Manchuria, China in 1850. And while we don't exactly know how it gets around the world at that time, obviously through that supply chain, it got to Japan in 1921. And so it's very popular, apparently, in Asia, and then it made it to the United States. So you will see it in your major grocery store chains, and particularly Sprouts. You know, I'm going to brag on Sprouts a little bit. They They have a lovely produce section, and I hope you're getting one in your area. Trader Joe's might have them, but most of the major chains do carry them. It's a great way to have a spaghetti substitute. Now, plant based and vegan are not necessarily gluten-free, but a lot of people think they are. Overall, in your eating pattern, if you are looking at trying to reduce the processed foods that are in your diet and in your eating pattern, spaghetti squash is a nice way to go. A serving of it is 42 calories and has a gram of protein. So you may say that's not a whole lot, but given that most 
plants have, and I, I mean like a, a anything but a grain and a bean, but you know, a fruit and a vegetable, a root crop, etc., generally have like 0.8 to 2 grams of protein. There's a little bit of protein in every plant. It's not gobs, okay, but lots of phytonutrients along with that. This is just a super way to get your fiber in and enjoy uh, a lot of vitamins, manganese, B6, and niacin, and so forth. So basically, there's really only way that one, one way that I know of, of how to prepare a spaghetti squash, and that is to uh, cut it in half and roast it for 30 to 40 minutes, and I show you how to do that in the video. It may not even be that long, depending on the temperature. You let it sit for a little bit, and then you, t you take a fork, and you pull apart the pasta-like shreds. So I hope you take some time and enjoy the spaghetti squash. There's a lot of recipes out there. I really like it just with a super good quality olive oil and some salt and pepper. I think some granulated garlic, if you want to drizzle some garlic oil, if you want to go to your favorite uh, olive oil store and use some tasty olive oil, that's fine. It's such a nice neutral base, but it does have texture to it. If you don't over roast it, of course, but you know, I have found that for me in my oven about 20 to 30 minutes to, to where it is fork tender. So whatever that looks like for your oven works. I also use it as a base for other sauces. So I'll spread it out and put it on a pizza pan or a, a flat baking sheet and add some things on top and make it beautiful and add some plant-based cheese on top. And it really gives it a nice flavor and texture and just all around um, great dish. So there's one in my new cookbook, Veg Around the World. I do talk about that in the Learn It Live class. But yeah, pick one up and test it. The next one is Japanese eggplants. I honestly do not like regular globe eggplant. I think it's something that perhaps when I was growing up, rubbed me the wrong way. I think a lot of us are that way about our vegetables. It is in the nightshade family, and it is 80% water. But Japanese eggplant obviously came from Asia. There's some commonality here. China eats the most eggplants, probably just because there's more Chinese. I'm not really sure. Maybe they just incorporate it into their diet better. They are native to a broad region in that area of India, China, Southeast Asia, what makes them so different is you don't have to peel them. Yes, they're 80% water, and I do try to extract some of the water before I cook them, but they tend to hold their shape better when you roast them. Think about they're elongated, so you think about the normal uh, globe eggplant. It's, it kind of looks like an egg. It's dark purple. You have to peel it. It's a little tougher. You have to do some sweating to the eggplant. This one, you don't necessarily have to do that. They're, mm, some of them are dark purple. Some of them are kind of striated. But the nice thing is on these Japanese eggplant, you do not have to peel them, which is huge. I guess you can if you want to, but I didn't. They do fine. So eggplants have been around for a while. They've got their low sugar. They've got 0.8 grams of protein. They've got fiber. They have potassium. They're just a great way to add phytonutrients 
and vegetables to your diet. Now, what I, or to your eating pattern, I should say, I'm trying to use that word more, eating pattern. Something I did with the Japanese eggplant is I, after my class, I had all this fruits and vegetables left over. I took the Japanese eggplant and roasted it with some onions and some grape tomatoes, then added some black lentil, black, black chickpeas, actually. And then I spread out the aforementioned spaghetti squash, then put the Japanese eggplant mixture on top and added some more nuts and grains and seeds with some spices and baked it. Actually, I put it under the broiler so it crisped it up with a little bit of vegan Parmesan and real life Parmesan. It was really good. So explore. If you don't like eggplant, but you're in the exploratory mode of vegetables, which many of us are when we're trying to uh, become more plant forward, plant slant, plant based, etc. Think about Japanese eggplant as an option for you. So we're going to head to the fruit section. And fruits are great. They're kind of easy. A lot of people, there's not a, there's not a fruit many people don't like, but a lot of it has to do with sweet, sour texture, so forth. So this one is the dragon fruit. And you'll see these normally in the tropical fruit section of your grocery store. And it is indigenous to Mexico and Central America. And then it was introduced to Southeast Asia and Vietnam and by the French. We think about transport system. You know, a lot of our fruits and vegetables and grains and lentils, anything in the plant family, are things that have been developed since the introduction of botany in, I think, the 16th or 17th century and how to make plants better and more edible. Um, and this is kind of one of them. It made its way around the world, and it's named dragon fruit because it has kind of this scaly outside, and I'm sure people look at it going, what do I do with that? So if you're looking for an interesting fruit, just to try and see if it might be something that is a nice snack for you, I really like it. What's interesting is when you peel it, and I show you how to do that in the video, when you peel it and cut it, it looks like there's sesame seeds on the inside, and it could be kind of off-putting if you're not used to that. But do try it. You know, get past the spikes. There are yellow ones and red ones, but the inside is kind of a gray, light, a really light gray with sesame seed looking things in it. And it's just got a wonderful flavor and texture. It's not sweet. It's not tart. You want one that is obviously a little soft so you know that it's ready to eat. And But it's packed with fiber. It's got three grams of fiber. It's got 1.2 grams of protein and lots of uh, other phytonutrients, some magnesium, some iron. I could go on and on. But if you're just looking for something different, I think, and you want to explore and just experience your taste buds and mouthfeels with a different fruit, I think you can't beat a dragon fruit. So now I'm going to go to a root vegetable that really gets passed by in the grocery store, and that is the Jerusalem artichoke. And it sort of looks like ginger when you walk by. It has that knobby shape like ginger. 
And so a lot of people are like, what is it and what do I do with it? And honestly, I had not tried one until about a year and a half ago, and I was in this exploratory stage, and I was quite surprised and pleased with it. So it's actually not an artichoke. It has absolutely nothing to do with Jerusalem. It's actually part of the sunflower family. It can be called a sunroot, a sunchoke, a wild sunflower, my favorite, the earth apple. And it is native. It is an indigenous plant to North America. So if you're doing having an indigenous day, I suggest trying the sunflower or Jerusalem artichokes. They're getting more popular. You're seeing them more in fine dining. You never see them in a regular cafe or restaurant. But they're getting some press with fine dining. And so what do you do with it? You can do a lot of things with it. My favorite thing to do, and you don't necessarily have to peel it, but you do want to scrub it. Even it looks like they've been scrubbed in the bags, they're still kind of gritty. So get your little, you know, vegetable brush out and give it a good brushing. And if you're going to puree it, I would say, or mash it, I would say peel it. If you're going to roast it, I would say keep the peel on, you know, just like a baby potato. You're not going to peel those. So if you're going to roast it or pan saute, leave. It's a very thin skin. What's really fun to do with them is slice them and then pan fry them in some olive oil or oil until they're crispy like little potato chips. And they're excellent. Oh my gosh. Like if you want to get have something at a dinner party or take something interesting, I suggest get, getting some Jerusalem artichokes. And you might kind of pair it. You might do two things. You might do like a dip with the Jerusalem artichokes and then um, have use the Jerusalem artichoke chips. Look at those when you're looking at the Jerusalem artichokes. Now you know what you can do. Treat them like any other root vegetable almost. I've tried them all raw. It's okay raw. Certainly you can do that. Try the chips. I know people are like, oh, that's oil and fried, etc. You can always spray them with a little bit of aerosol spray and put them in your air fryer so there's less. See how that works. I haven't done that. I might try that this afternoon. But just think outside of the bun a little bit and try a new vegetable, the Jerusalem artichoke. All right, so we're going to go into the grain family. Actually, I'm going to give you two. I said five, but I'm going to give you six. One of my favorite new rices is black rice. You, again, don't see that very often in a restaurant. I don't even know if you see it in an in a Asian or a Thai or any other kind of restaurant, um, at least not the ones I've been to. But what I like about black rice is, one, it's beautiful, and we eat with our eyes, and sometimes you need some color, and you can do some different things with these different rices. So, again, black rice originated in Asia, but how I came into, and I see the forbidden rice, which tends to be, I think, sticky rice, but that may not always be the case. It's interesting what kind of gets stuck in your head. But when I was in France, Camargue is the largest rice-growing region, provides rice to France. It's huge, or it's, their production is huge, I should say. And they have black and red rice. But I, I picked up some Camargue black rice while we were um, visiting. And we had an Airbnb, and I cooked it up. And just traditionally, like you would in a pot, because that's about all you have when you're in Airbnb. And it was lovely. It was so beautiful and nutty. It's dark purple, and it has anthocyanins in it. And these are great for antioxidants and helping against cell damage. It has fiber. It has protein. It is a heavy hitter. 
and, and only in a half a cup. And what's fun is what I like to do with black rice is pair it up with maybe a lighter bean, like a chickpea. You could put lentils in it. You can put... You can make a, a nice grain, seed, bean, lentil, legume blend with it, and it makes a wonderful kind of rice salad or, or full-on main course. I, I really encourage you, if you're in your rice section and you see black rice from anywhere, now Minnesota is growing it. it, it, it Italy has its two versions of black and red. But, uh, yeah, gets get a lot more phytonutrients than just even brown rice it is a whole grain you'll get your flavonoids it also helps with your blood sugar levels and diabetes better than white rice obviously but even more so than brown rice so yeah if you see black rice or you see it in a grain mixture uh, especially like in target target has all these wonderful grain uh, grain blends and bean blends legume blends and spice blends in their uh, ready to eat section Give it a try. Don't be afraid of black rice. I think you'll really like it. And then finally, millet. And I, I have this thing about millet now that I know Colorado is one of the uh, premier, you know, primary growers of millet in the United States, and we store a vast amount of it just north of us from Fort Collins, north of Fort Collins. But it's a group of cereal grains. They're in the grass family. And it's widely consumed everywhere else but here. But you're seeing it more and more. And you're seeing it in these wonderful blends with quinoa and barley and millet. And it's a tiny seed. It cooks up really fast. And what I like to do is cook it up in water until it's almost a little over a little bit past al dente but not mushy then i drain it and i rinse it a little bit and then i spread it out onto either parchment paper or um, silicone baking mats and then let them air dry a little bit and then i'll put them in the freezer and then put them in packages and then i can just pull some millet out when i want to add some grains to a dish but you know i don't want to eat a whole half a cup of millet maybe that's okay but that's not how i want to do it i'd like to put millet and a bean and a grain and a nut and a seed together and it's just yummy and millet it has six grams of protein and iron and it's low fat has fiber thinking beyond grains not being just traditionally oatmeal and maybe barley might be on some people's radar millet is a great especially if you're gluten-free and you're you know you're worried about oh it's you know, your gluten that's fine some people that's fine uh, but it can, you can add millet to your toolbox of making your dishes interesting and getting some plant protein and fiber in so I hope you've enjoyed this podcast today. We went through five different, a couple of fruits uh, or a fruit, a couple of vegetables, root vegetable and a rice and a grain that you can pull together and you can actually take what I just gave you and make a complete meal out of it with a little prep and some creativity. So be sure and follow the rest of my podcasts coming up for January. It is Veganuary, so I'm focusing and pairing these up with my classes on Learn It Live. Follow me on YouTube with more cooking videos and ideas on my website, itsyourseason.life. If you have any suggestions, maybe what is your favorite unusual, not common out of the box, out of this world, not in a restaurant, fruit, vegetable, grain, plant, 
please put in the comments below. Feel free to email me at lisa at itsyourseason.life. That's totally cool. Let's stay connected and let's eat more veg. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me today. I hope you have a new tip for eating more veg. Give me a shout out with comments or suggestions for future podcasts. And be sure and check out my website. Follow my cooking demos on YouTube under either Lisa Boson, B-O-E-S-E-N, or itsyourseason.life. And if you need a recipe, visit me on Amazon and other online book retailers. And remember, it's always your season to eat more veg. So let's get cooking.